Hi everyone, my name is Dr. Michael Wald and you're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. For those of you who are new to the show, this is a show about your health and healing. And the reason why the show is called Ask the Blood Detective is because my nickname is The Blood Detective. And that branding, so to speak, was given to me by a grateful patient many years ago when I was able to come up with a diagnosis for a difficult condition where other doctors seemed to miss that. And also, the whole blood detective philosophy is to make you your own personal blood detective, to give you the critical thinking skills that will allow you to be the best healthcare consumer that you can be. To reach me for show topics or to make criticisms or to ask further questions on the show, please email me at info at blooddetective.com. That's info at blooddetective.com. You can also call me at 914-552-1442. And each week, the radio show topics you'll find posted on my blog section of the website at www.blooddetective.com or www.integratednutritionny.com. Both of the blogs are identical. They're shared between those two websites. So the easiest one, obviously, is blooddetective.com. Now, today's show topic is an exciting one because it's practical. And uh, I have a, a guest. Her name is Autumn. She'll give you a brief uh, introduction of herself. But basically, she's a nursing student at Pace University. And she'll be asking various uh, questions that she uh, is curious about herself for the purpose of a, a paper in her nursing program. And today's show is essentially part two of what I had presented on the previous show known as Health and Nutrition Questions and Answers, What You Need to Know. So what Autumn will be asking me are a bunch of different questions that, uh, again, have a lot of applicability to all of you because she herself is a healthcare consumer and soon to be a nurse. So these are the critical questions that she feels are important to her. So I just want to have Autumn introduce herself to give her a She'll give you a brief background about herself, and she'll ask these questions. And I'll restate the questions as well to make sure that everyone hears them. Good morning, Autumn. How are you? Hi, Dr. Walt. I'm good. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining me this morning. This is um, this is going to be a nice, relaxed uh, pace here. So uh, what we'll do is we'll have you just go down your list of questions, and I'll give the best answers that I can. And Autumn, you feel free to stop me at any point or to uh, maybe take the questions in a different direction uh, if you feel that's appropriate. Otherwise, I'm excited for you to go ahead and start with question number one, but only once you tell me a little bit more about yourself and the rest of the audience. (laughs) Okay, well, my name is Autumn Hicks. I'm a senior nursing major. Um, I'm originally from Staten Island, but I'm at Peace University right now. I'm in um, my spring semester, so I'm taking critical care and transition. And my clinicals are at Monty Wakefield in the ED and at New York Presbyterian Hudson Valley in the ICU. I'm not too sure what unit I would like to work on after graduation. That's pretty much what that's really impressive. And, and I can tell, you know, m- much of the listening audience may not recognize, Autumn, that the nursing education is quite rigorous. But, but not only that, it's founded upon the nursing process. Isn't that right? Right. That's correct. Yeah. And can you maybe tell us just real briefly what the nursing process is? process, I guess you could say, is individualized for each patient that we're seeing, but it, it would follow like the same steps, like depending on um, the outcomes you want to see in your patient. So it's basically, it's just, you start out with, it's called like ADPI is what we call it for short. Right, the acronym. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so it's first assessment, diagnosis, then you can say outcome, identification, or planning. Then you have implementation and evaluation. Wonderful. And the reason I mention this, uh, and I'm talking to the listening audience now, is because nursing is founded on a very well thought out, strict and organized philosophy of patient care. And Autumn, wouldn't you say that one of your main 
goals as a, as a, as a nurse, when you will be a nurse, is to advocate for your patients? Oh, absolutely. I feel like from day one, since I've stepped foot into the business program, that's the, one of the major points. Right. And, you know, I, I myself attended medical school. I attended chiropractic school. I even taught at a nursing school and I attended nutrition school. And the reason I mention that all is because none of the education that I had, in my opinion, was as well structured for patient advocacy, uh, than nursing programs. Wow. Yeah. I, I really, uh, give you a lot of credit. Uh, nurses are, uh, and and in a, in a great sense of the word, doctors, in the sense that they are caring for people. In that, if it's a hospital setting, we're talking about the, the nurse is the intricate. Probably, I mean, I, I hesitate a little bit to say this, but there are more doctors often than doctors are in hospitals. You know, the doctors come around, they have their orders, right, and they they check on patients very rarely. But it's the nurses that are with the patients. 24 7 24/7. and it's not only that autumn wouldn't you also agree that nurses also have a structure for how they communicate among one another for care of patients in the hospital setting right or any setting yes yes correct yeah so so these may sound like fundamental common sense things to many of the listeners but uh the level of of structure and communication and organization in nursing is one of the most impressive things that I've ever seen in education. So good for you. Very happy for you, Autumn. Thank you so much. All righty. So why don't you um, begin your questions and uh, we'll take it from there. Okay. So my first question is, describe how you became interested in the complementary therapy and interventions that you practice. Okay. So you know, the question is, how did I get interested in what I'm doing? And, uh, Autumn, you use the term complementary and that that's yes. a common term, you know, used in healing and in, in the medical and nutrition literature when describing, let's say, the natural healthcare field. Sometimes you'll hear the word holistic and at other times there might be the word integrative. So it could be a little confusing to people, but for the purpose of this conversation, I'm actually going to use the word integrative because, uh, or integrated because I'm, my office is called integrated nutrition at Mount Kisco for a reason and simply occurred to me through my holistic common sense or blood detective common sense that healthcare should be an integrated endeavor. And I went into what I'm doing because early on in my field, when I began chiropractic, I realized how important chiropractic was to the structure of the body, to the nervous system, for, for lots of things. But then I quickly realized that there were other aspects of healing that I wanted to integrate into chiropractic. So I then learned nutrition. And then I thought, if I'm approaching a patient with a neuromuscular skeletal problem as a chiropractor, and now I could handle them and approach them from a nutritional perspective, doesn't it make sense for me to know what medicine has to offer in terms of at least knowledge to draw from? And the answer was yes. So I educated myself in all these different uh, fields. And my initial interest was because my father, uh, Dr. George Wald, uh, was a chiropractor and a nutritionist. And he was integrative and complementary in his approach. And I saw as a young kid, we're talking 10 years old, I used to spend summers at my dad's office. I thought it was the greatest thing. When a lot of kids yeah. were playing outside, yeah. I just wanted to hang out with my dad. And his patients would tell me, you know, how they went to all these other practitioners. And and long story short, I just knew from a very young age that I wanted to do natural health care. And then I took it from there. And here I am now. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you. So feel free to uh, go to your next question. Okay, uh, my next question is, what are some of the services you offer? Okay, well, the services I offer fundamentally are uh, an integrative intake. Uh, I do, uh, I guess what you can say, a complementary healthcare physical where I'm asking questions that span a number of so-called healthcare fields, but they're integrative in the sense that, you know, these are necessary things that I feel patients should should uh, be questioned on. And uh, some of the, the services they offer, therefore, 
are based on my intake of that patient, but they include uh, food and dietary advice along with other lifestyle advice like personalized exercise instruction given the specific health problem and uh, level of care of the, of the, uh, of the patient, what, what disease or conditions they may suffer from. And, and also other aspects of lifestyle. We talk about uh, sleep hygiene and uh, a clean environment both in the home and how to protect oneself about, uh, uh, protect one, oneself uh, against, that is, uh, environmental toxins. Uh, I offer beyond uh, food advice and dietary advice, advice in the area of uh, herbs, vitamins, uh, minerals, amino acids, and other nutraceuticals based upon the patient's healthcare problems and their individual biochemistry, which means that part of the healthcare services that I offer include detailed laboratory tests. So I think that's very uh, intricate to, uh, integral that is to patient care as I'm sure you know, uh, Autumn, in, in the nursing field, without laboratory, you simply cannot uh, give a patient the kind of care that they may need, particularly if there's a, a serious problem. So, right. right. And the type of, of laboratory work that I do, this is a distinction here, is not limited to one specialty. So the listening audience, you may or may not realize this, but when you see a particular healthcare provider, whether it's a your uh, a PC or an endocrinologist or a neurologist or a gastroenterologist or an OB or whatever the specialist is, those doctors will tend to um, perform laboratory tests that are within their specialty, which now sort of sounds like common sense. And why wouldn't they? Of course they should. But what I do in an integrated format is if a patient comes to me and let's say they have, uh, let's say they have uh, a headache, uh, they might see their their primary healthcare provider who may or may not uh, refer them, let's say, to a neurologist, let's say if they had uh, particularly bad migraine headaches. So I would do testing that you might find in a neurologist's office. Maybe it would include some standard labs like a complete blood count uh, and a comprehensive metabolic you know, panel along with maybe a serum magnesium level or B12 and a B6 level. And that's about as far as it's going to go. Uh, in a neurologist's office. But then, from an integrated perspective, I would say, well, wait a second. Maybe they have migraines because they have allergies. So I might therefore perform allergy tests that you'd have to go to an allergist for. And then on the other hand, maybe I suspect that they have uh, a gluten intolerance because there is evidence that gluten intolerance, which is separate, which is different than celiac disease, might precipitate migraines. Or, Maybe this person is having migraines because they have uh, stress and anxiety in their lives and they may need to see a psychiatrist or psychologist, but I might, might do tests in that area. Now, when I say that I might do tests from five, six, seven, eight, nine, who knows how many specialties at one time, that doesn't mean I wouldn't refer those individuals to those specialists if, ne- if needed. But my point, though, is I can save the patient weeks to months and sometimes years finding issues by testing in multiple specialties, so to speak, at one point, because that's what the integrated philosophy, from my perspective, uh, sort of forces me to do. And you know, Autumn, that in uh, in, the, in the nursing field, and of course, you learn quite a bit of laboratory, and you certainly learn the what what different healthcare professionals offer and also their limitations that testing in multiple areas at one time is just not something individual healthcare providers right. tend to do they as you know they tend to and this is not wrong this is part of the perspective here they will refer appropriately to others what they would call spreading out the liability and um on the one hand it makes sense for a practitioner in one specialty to say, hey, you know, I don't really, I'm not a gastroenterologist, so I'm going to refer out to one. That's all fine. But I can tell you from my practical experience, uh, doing what I'm doing for over 27 years, that doctors miss a lot. And when they do refer to others, unlike nurses who have a very structured uh, way of uh, handing off the patient, as it's called in, in nursing, uh, they miss a lot. Yeah, I paid attention in nursing school, Autumn. <laughs> I think I tell you, I've, I've researched quite. It's amazing, amazing, yeah, amazing foundation in nursing. 
Uh, I think medicine lacks that foundation. So I try to bring an integrated foundation and then try to work with other practitioners if they're open to it. But I make believe that I'm the only one in a sense when I'm with that patient. So I will do testing from whatever so-called specialties, not making distinctions when I'm doing lab testing. Okay. Yeah, so um, just to put another five seconds to the end of your question is, you know, what it is I do. So that was part of the, the laboratory work and, and approach question. But I also, right. I also take the lab results and I put them into a software program that I designed over a decade ago known as Blood Logic. So what that program does, Autumn, is I put the results of the patient's laboratory work in the, in the uh, computer program and it interpolates and interprets that lab uh, in a way that eyeballs really can't, you know, in other words, just looking at testing. So okay. it, it will integrate as, as many as 170 different laboratory tests and tell me what the more probable diagnoses are, what other tests I might want to consider, what nutrition in terms of diet and supplements I should give to the patient based on their biochemistry. And lastly, on a, my, my blood logic software program compares individuals not just to the average man or woman their age, which you know is how blood work works, right? Right. I compare them to uh, ranges that are associated with healthier individuals, not merely average individuals. Wow, okay. You know, so in the nursing program and in medicine and in chiropractic, they do not teach one small concept, and that is that blood work... When a person gets their cholesterol checked or their chloride or their BUN or whatever, the glucose, whatever the laboratory uh, test is, the man or woman is compared to other men or women that are seemingly well and there's an, let's say a, peop, a woman or a man donates their, their blood work. If they, if they don't have uh, anemia or AIDS, you can donate your blood or, or Lyme disease or, or what is it, uh, or, uh, Babesiosis, actually. Pretty much you can donate your blood work. The averages of the glucose are taken among uh, women or men and uh, the same thing for every other lab test. And then individuals are compared to those people as if they were optimal. Okay. Right? They're merely average individuals who didn't show up, you know, with a brain tumor hanging out of their, you know, uh, out of their head. So my, my, my point is, for example... In the Journal of Endocrinology some years back, they talked about... Well, actually, let me give you a better example than that. Everyone has heard of LDL, low-density lipoproteins, the the so-called bad fat as opposed to HDL, which you can think of as the happy fat. Now, with LDL, we know on blood testing that 130 or below is considered normal, 130 or below. But most lab tests today, as opposed to even as recently as five years ago, they would not distinguish or stratify LDL, meaning now LDL, as I've mentioned, of 130 and, and above is abnormal. 130 and below is normal, but optimal is 100 or below. So they actually now have an optimal range, which is associated with less cardiovascular disease and stroke. But if you have 130, your doctor is going to say you're fine or, or actually say nothing at all. So that would be one example of a healthier range that's in my system. And I'll give you one more example. Yeah. The, t- the TSH, or thyroid stimulating hormone. So, Autumn, as you know, TSH is not a thyroid hormone. It's a hormone produced by the anterior pituitary gland. And we know that on regular laboratory work, the average tends to be something like 0.5 to 3 point, let's say 5 on average. And, and different labs do vary. That might be a surprise to some of the listeners. They, they, the labs vary with their ranges, what they call the clinical ranges of the different tests, because they're ch- testing different population groups. But they're close. But a, the Journal of Endocrinology some years ago said that the optimal TSH or the TSH that's associated with the best thyroid function and sense of quality of well-being is 1.18. So this is the kind of distinction. So, so many people come to me, they say, Dr. Wald, I've had these headaches or I have had um, uh, anxiety or depression or my gut has been bothering me or I believe I have a heart problem, but I go from doctor to doctor and they tell me I'm fine. And then I compare them to the healthy ranges and then all of these abnormalities pop out because when you're comparing someone to healthy, it's a higher standard. 
So what might be normal on a regular blood test uh, will not necessarily be normal when I compare someone to healthier ranges and then my blood detective software compiles all that and points it right out to me. So that's one of the things that I do that's quite special is compare people to healthy and not merely average. So I do both. Wow, that's impressive. Thank you. Next question, whenever you're ready. Um, Okay, the next question that I have, since we kind of already went over how you individualize service for each patient, so um, would you be able to describe the types of clients who will seek your services? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and I should mention, too, I offer uh, hyperbaric uh, ambient air uh, pressure therapy, and a, a, something called topical nutrition, which uh, if listeners are interested, they can read that more about that on my website at www.integratednutritionny.com under the services section. There's too many services to mention here. So, uh, so Audrey, so your next question was to say it one more time. Describe the types of clients who seek your services. Got it, got it. So, you know, I, Audrey, I see clients from a, Autumn, sorry, I see clients from a wide variety of, of age groups and health problems. So I probably, uh, the, the, the category of, of clients I see the least of would be newborns and babies. Although I do, I do see, uh, you know, babies from time to time. But most of my clients are between the ages of 25 and 85. Um, wow. And I would have to say that I'm about 50-50 men and women. And, okay. yeah, and in terms of the health problems, the, I, I really don't um, focus in any one area. But if I had to give you the top handful of areas, it would be gastrointestinal. Definitely immune or autoimmune uh, type conditions and neurologic, of course. Um, well, yesterday, for example, I saw a, a, a gentleman uh, in his late 70s with eczema all over his body. Another patient was a woman with multiple sclerosis, a very bad case of MS. She could barely walk with, with hand walkers. I saw a young woman about 23 uh, with migraines. I'm trying to give you an idea of the, of the breadth of different things that I see. Yeah. Earlier in the morning yesterday, I saw a, a person, a woman with um, celiac disease. Then I saw a person with um, breast cancer, another with ovarian cancer, and uh, that was that was some that was some of the highlights uh, from yesterday. So as you can see, there's a wide variety of, of conditions because nutrition doesn't doesn't uh, distinguish uh, between conditions. Every health problem, in my opinion, either has some nutritional underpinning or results in a nutritional need. Okay. And I'm sure you know, Autumn, when in the nursing. The nursing field these days, the education is loaded with nutrition, loaded with nutrition. Right. I'm, again, I'm astounded. I remember the, <laughs> the program that I was uh, closely involved in, there was mention of the ketogenic diet. There was mention right. of nutrition and healthcare relative to the uh, religiosity of, of the patient. Uh, you know, different cultures have uh, different cultural needs and nutritional likes and dislikes. So when nutritional advice is given, it needs to be considerate of that. So um, anyway, I'll let you go on to the next question. Okay, so the next question has to do with um, some of the advice you were saying you give to your patients, like being a diet or exercise. How would you say best keep your clients focused and motivated when it comes to changing their lifestyle? Right. So that's an important question. How how do you possibly keep someone motivated to to change their lifestyle? You know, um, I was, uh, I have to say too, even uh, as I was going through my learning earlier on in my different fields here, I had difficulty like anyone would of being compliant, uh, eating the way that I thought was healthy, taking my nutritional supplements, exercising regularly. So for me, it was easy. Uh, 
basically, I once I started to practice and I saw people with illness and saw what happens to people that do not take care of themselves, I just was scared into just taking care of myself. And now, right. I, you know, uh, all of my lifestyle is such that I, I, it's not an effort any longer. I just know too much. I just know too much. I've seen too much. And uh, I love, love, love to exercise. I love eating healthy and I'm a, I'm a vegan. And I'm not saying that's the most appropriate diet for everyone. Um, and just as a side note, for those of you who did not hear my show called What's Unhealthy About Healthy Diets, you might want to listen to that because every food plan, which I called a diet in the, for the purpose of this, uh, that, this, that particular show, you know, can be done wrong and can cause problems and can cause harm. Uh, and on the other hand, has a great potential for causing good. So in the nursing program, uh, you know that you learn a lot about B12 deficiencies and, and folic acid needs, and you learn about vitamin C and the B vitamins and, 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 the, and the macronutrients in the diet and how, poor, how important these are for, let's say, immune function. So if someone's in a hospital setting and they've got an immune problem, you know, their food plan will hopefully emphasize proteins. So sometimes it's just that simple. We need proteins to build immune elements like, like antibodies. So, um, how do you keep a person motivated? Number one is through education. Uh, when, when a person is sitting before me and trusting me with their health, I, I feel it's my duty to teach them about their own health problems. So I, I usually, First, assess them uh, and assess their knowledge of their condition. And then I, I educate them regarding their knowledge about what's available to them in the traditional medical field. And then I describe what's available in my field. So education is fundamental because with education, you can make better uh, healthcare choices. And then I help uh, my patients to develop a lifestyle plan that is actually doable for them. You know, whether it's medicine or natural health, often I see people that are given the right advice, but it's so much and it's so unstructured, they simply don't know what to do with it and they, they pull away. In the natural healthcare field, many people I find pull away from regular medicine because they are, well, frankly, they're disgusted and confused and disappointed with the fact that their doctors were not sensitive enough to their needs. So they just write a script and they teach them nothing about their lifestyle. Um, or if they might say to someone with high cholesterol, take this drug, watch your diet and exercise. If yeah. I had a nickel for every time I heard that phrase, <laughs> watch your diet. Okay, what does that mean? Watch it on a television? Uh, watch what you're eating every day? I mean... Autumn, you and I know, and most of the audience knows literally what that means. They mean to pay attention to what you're eating, except if you don't educate a person about what's healthy and what's not for their healthcare problem, that's a meaningless statement. And because physicians really learn next to no nutrition, and compared to nurses, they learn none. There was a, a Harvard study that actually analyzed the average number of nutrition hours in medical school, and... Um, it, first of all, the, the, the length of the medical of the, the nutrition education is in the two to three month phase. And in some medical schools, it's not greater than 33 hours. So um, how can we expect? Oh, oh, so the Harvard study actually concluded by saying that the average individual who watches television probably knows more nutrition than their doctors. And I never forgot that statement. So education, I don't assume that my clients know what a healthy diet is. So I need to educate them about what a healthy diet is for them and then how to set up their lives for success. So for example, if I recommend nutritional supplements in addition to a healthy diet uh, and I don't say to them something like, you know, you can take these supplements, you can put them in a, you know, a vitamin pill box and you can have one of those vitamin pill boxes at your work and maybe you'll stick one in your gym bag and you'll definitely have one at home. Set up your life so you can succeed and not say, Hey, I just didn't, I forgot my nutrients. So right. practically, you know, it sounds like a small thing, but it's not a small thing. And with many people these days, I encourage them to use, for example, the reminders on their calendars on their smartphones, you know, so they get alarms that, that remind them it's time to take their supplements. It's time to exercise. It's time to, you know, think about, you know, beginning your sleep ritual so that you have the proper sleep hygiene. So 
And many, many people, I would say as many as half, they don't even know how to use the calendar alarms on their phones. They'll sit in front of me and they'll, I can see they're embarrassed. They'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll do that later. I'll say, please hand me your phone. And then I'll show them how to do it. These may seem, again, like small things, but they're not. So education, the use of technologies, and I am available to people. So if people have issues that see me, they know they can text me, they can call me, they can email me, they know that I'm available. So this is how people get success. And uh, I would think that the, the last thing for now, and we can go on all day with just this one topic is, is to try to, in, in, uh, to, to involve the families to some extent, if appropriate, so that the individual who's trying to be successful with their health endeavors has a support structure at home. So those are some of the key ways, uh, Autumn, that I tend to help people um, become successful so they can reach the level of health that they want. That's really great. Wow. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. The next question that I have is, um, are your services covered by insurance? Well, that's a good question. So here's the answer. Yeah, <laughs> yes and no. Okay. So... If someone sees me uh, and I uh, draw blood from them, I do all the, the the blood drawing myself. I love it. It's fascinating. And I send that blood out to the national lab. Insurance will cover their laboratory work 100%. If I decide to do some holistic type testing that are not done by the national labs or I cannot send my patients anywhere specifically for to have those tests covered, then those tests would not be covered. So... Um, that's on a one, sort of a one-to-one sort of criteria where a patient right. will come in and, and let's say they're obese and I want to do a bioimpedance test to measure the, the percentage of muscle, water, and fat in their bodies and, and learn the metabolic rate so I can figure out the proper diet. The bioimpedance test is not covered by insurance. So I say to a patient, this is not covered or it's probably not covered, but I'll, I'll give everyone a super bill with all the diagnostic codes and I let them know, listen, the test is $65. Do you want to do it or not? And then I always give them the option of me guessing and not doing a test so they, so they don't feel like it's, you know, my way or the highway. So that's basically the answer. Some things are covered, some things are, are not. Uh, but I dictate all of my notes, which is important. So when insurance companies get my responses, it's not just chicken scratch that most doctors would give, which there'll right. be no coverage. <laughs> there'll be no coverage for that, but it's important. You know, uh, Autumn, you, you'll be working probably in a hospital setting, as you mentioned. So, you know, the notes are very well structured. Uh, and then you have, you know, um, people that handle insurance as their full-time jobs, you know, in, in that atmosphere and, and coverage can, you know, is usually very good in a hospital setting, but in the non-hospital setting, it's not as good uh, because there are issues with uh, the quality of notes and all that. So I dictate all my notes. And as you can see, I talk pretty fast and I know lots of big words. So people usually get some, they get good coverage. Okay. That's good. Um, the next question that I have for you is how important would you say the timing of meals are? The timing of the what, Autumn? Of meals. Sorry. Oh, timing of meals. Okay. So that's a very uh, interesting uh, question. So the, t- the, the timing of meals. I spoke about food timing uh, during uh, my show, I think, on athletic performance because for athletes, it's super important, for example. Uh, and, and people with chronic illness, I actually think about them sort of like athletes, which on the surface sounds like a complete contradiction and on opposite poles. You know, you have an individual, let's say, with, with cancer or a chronic health problem, meaning it's an ongoing health problem that's using up nutritional resources, let's say. And the athlete, though, let's say a sprinter or a tennis player or a biker or a bodybuilder or whatever it, it is, we've got an increased nutritional need in both cases. So, for example, I saw a, a quite accomplished bodybuilder uh, last week who eats an amount of, of, of protein and food that if I did it, I'd probably explode. <laughs> I'd probably explode. But this gentleman, it's no, no problem. Um, but his caloric intake happened to be very similar to another patient I have with a metastatic uh, form of um, breast cancer. So we know, and Autumn, you know, that in uh, cancers, commonly a condition called sarcopenia results, 
which is a fancy term for loss of lean body mass or lean organ mass. And the loss of lean organ mass will create what's called a, a negative nitrogen balance, which is a, an ominous, what's, what's called an ominous sign in, in healthcare circles, right? And if we do a bioimpedance test on a person with a loss of lean body mass, they are going to have a slower metabolic rate. And, um, they, we know that the lower the lean body mass, the higher the risk of overall death and disability. So we want a person to have lean organ mass. Now, what a person needs to understand is that lean organ mass includes everything in the body other than fat. So all of the organs, as a person normally ages, they atrophy in a sense. They lose lean organ mass. They shrivel. And that can be offset through exercise and diet to a large extent. Now, your question was about food timing. A person, so, so the, the answer about food timing is it's very individualized. If we have a person with cancer who, um, has no appetite, which is very common and who, you know, cannot eat big meals, what do you do? I have had patients from some of the more well-renowned, um, medical centers, uh, in the world, uh, particularly in New York City, and they see the dietitians there on staff. And uh, they're told what to eat, but not how to eat and nothing about nutrition timing. So number one, when a person with a chronic illness has any semblance of an appetite, that's when they eat. And when they don't, they still may need to eat something because maybe they will hardly have these windows of having an appetite. So you'd want them to start with, if they have no appetite, with, with soups. That are, you know, you, you, they're nutritionally rich, uh, the broth part of the soup. And then when they're, when they can eat a little more, then you have them eat more of the solids in the soup. And then they go back and forth through this spectrum of liquids, which are more tolerated is the point here, to more solids. And when it comes to food timing in, let's say, athletes, again, it's, this is a, a very complex topic. Uh, but if a person exercises vigorously, let's say aerobic exercise, they've gotten their heart rate up for at least 30 minutes or so, it's important to have a, a carbohydrate and a protein uh, drink, let's say, or a sort of a smoothie within 60 minutes or, or 60 to 90 minutes for the average, averagely fit individual because the science shows that the uptake of carbohydrates and proteins within that time frame is uh, improves the performance of the next exercise bout. So you have these additive effects. So I think we probably should leave it there in terms of food timing, other than to say that probably the last thing would be that in the average individual should eat small amounts of foods throughout the course of the day because this three meals a day thing is an invented societal norm. It's not necessarily what's healthy for an individual and I like to compare us as mammals to other mammals in the wild who graze all day long. So the term is grazing. So if it's convenient or a person can adjust the structure of their lives so that they're grazing, every few hours they're eating small amounts of things. It's easier on the digestive tract. And um, not only that, it helps maintain blood sugar and helps reduce, it helps maintain energy, lots of benefits. So did that answer your question? Yes, it did. Thank you so much for going into such detail. Sure. Um, okay, the next question that I wanted to ask you is, why do you think that vitamins are not emphasized the same way pharmaceutical drugs are? Okay, so why aren't supplements, nutritional supplements, emphasized like pharmaceutical right. drugs? Um, yes. Right. You know, I've, something in me wants to start by by giving an example of a few times over the years, a person has come to me and said, Dr. Wald, my doctor said that nutritional supplements don't work and he or she said that they're not even approved by the FDA. And I will say, well, that's okay because the FDA is not in business to approve nutrients. So that's like asking your dentist to give you a gynecological exam. It makes no sense. <laughs> now, on the other hand, we do need some sort of oversight 
with nutritional supplements because there are unscrupulous supplement companies that put out inferior products. And we've also learned based on these specials they've had on Dateline NBC and the New York Times has covered them uh, all over the media that there's a lot of, of – of bad practices going on in the uh, nutri- the um, drug uh, medication fields as well. In fact, there was a report on Dateline NBC some years ago, and it was regarding cancer medications. And this was astounding, and anyone here can look this up, where they realized that it was, they estimated that approximately half of the uh, uh, chemotherapy meds were being imported from places like China and other places, and that when they would assay a lot of these medications, they didn't find any of the medication in the medication. What they did find was, and I'll never forget it, they said um, things like chrysanthemums, and yeah, right, I didn't pull that out of a hat. I couldn't have made that up. And <laughs> and asphalt. So you know, when we get in, getting medications from outside of the United States, just you know, to save money, the pharmaceutical companies actually are, are doing that. Uh, we're creating issues. But your question is, why aren't nutritional supplements? Um, what was? How did you put it exactly? Why were they not emphasized? Right, the medications are. Right. So one the, the main reason is that physicians uh, learn very little nutrition. So we really can't blame traditional physicians for not recommending nutritional supplements. They simply don't learn much about them. Uh, they learn that if you're deficient in vitamin C, you'll get scurvy. Uh, if you're deficient in B3, you'll get pellagra. Um, if you are an alcoholic or drink a lot of alcohol, you'll lose tons of B vitamins like, like B1 in your urine and you might get an encephalopathy known as Wernicke's encephalopathy where you have confusion and delirium. And in a hospital-based setting, they give you IVs of, guess what? Vitamins. So, how can something be emphasized if it's not taught? That's number one. And secondly, right. And secondly, the, the amount of nutrition that is taught is so small that it, it simply is not the emphasis of the treatments in medicine. Medicine is composed of individuals who are very smart that uh, go into healthcare, I'm assuming for the, all the right reasons and their tools of the trade are the prescription pad. That is what they do, and I don't mean it as a criticism. It's just a baseline of their of their um, education. And in the natural healthcare fields, there's so many of them. Uh, depending on what field in the natural healthcare uh, industry that that a, a practitioner is, that practitioner would, of course, recommend their tools. It just occurred to me at some point when I was a chiropractor that I felt as useful as those tools are, they're limited. I wanted to know more. And then I added and added and added to my toolbox. So basically the answer to your question is they're not recommended as much and emphasized simply because they're not taught as first-line therapy for most uh, health problems. There are uh, health problems that are associated with nutritional issues. And for the most part in those circumstances, uh, physicians will – they're obligated to recommend the appropriate nutrients nutrition. So for example – if a physician orders a homocysteine or a methylmalonic acid blood test and the homocysteine level is elevated, that doctor at the very least must write a prescription for folic acid, be anywhere between one and three milligrams, uh, or one and three uh, micrograms. Isn't that right, Autumn? Right. Yeah. And, you know, so there's a few examples uh, of that. Um, I'm trying to think of others like vitamin D. That's that's one that uh, has gained a lot of um, uh, of prevalence in in all of the healthcare industries because there isn't a a cell tissue or, or well I should say there isn't a uh, an organ in the body that does not have receptors for vitamin D. So if you ask a rheumatologist about vitamin D and rheumatologic diseases, that doctor now knows that. If you ask a cardiologist about low vitamin D and the risk of uh, cardiovascular disease, that doctor knows that too. And it's so now they, they've learned about that and they recommend it. But what I find though, Autumn, is that that's a, a clear example of the use of nutrition in medicine where it is emphasized, but still because medicine is very light on the nutrition education, the, here's what they will, the patient will tell me about the low vitamin D, about what their doctor said. So they'll say, Dr. Wald, yeah, I had my vitamin D checked, it's low. And then I'll say, okay, what were you recommended? What patient will say to me, well, the doctor said I should take some vitamin D. So the most common thing I hear is they don't even recommend the dose. 
And then the second most common thing I hear is, oh yeah, the doctor said I should take a thousand or two thousand or three thousand IUs. Now they're using the milligrams uh, for vitamin D. And then every once in a while, the patient will say the correct thing. They'll say, Dr. Wald, yep, my vitamin D level is low. My doctor said because I'm of normal weight, I should take 50,000 IUs of vitamin D once per week for eight weeks. Then I should get my vitamin D3 rechecked. Then I should probably start vitamin D again, but at a lower dose such that my vitamin D level reaches the optimal vitamin D blood level of 70, not just anywhere autumn between the normal range of 30 to 100. So, so that's really the thing. It's not as, it's emphasized where it should be. It's commonly emphasized wrong when it should be emphasized right. And there's just a lack of education. Um, and really medicine should treat nutritionists, let's say like myself, uh, that know what they're doing in this field, like any other specialist. You recognize the need for another specialist and then you refer the patient. You don't, you don't half-ass guess about what their need is. And this is a very complex issue. Why they're not? There's a lot of bias. Um, you know, you know, in a, in a hospital setting, that you know, a, a doctor or a nurse, they can't just start recommending nutrition, uh, you know, off the top of their head. <laughs> you know, How, however, now, and, and tell me if I'm wrong here. When I was uh, doing rounds at a nursing school in Florida, not that long ago, I was astounded that at least half the people in the nursing homes I went to, they were being recommended Saccharomyces boulardii, which is a probiotic. So you watch out for that. You're going to see it. And uh, what they find is that the study shows that it reduces diarrhea. It reduces the incidence of a particularly uh, uh, dangerous and deadly uh, infection known as Clostridium difficile, difficult yes. to kill. You know, C. diff infection kills the last the statistics. I looked over 400,000 people a, a year and then another 100,000 in the, in the population. It's a resistant infection that's caused by the overuse and or misuse and even the correct use of antibiotics. But Saccharomyces boulardii is super effective in managing that condition. So um, in fact, I was watching a TV show. I hardly watch any TV, but I watched a show called The Doctor about an autistic doctor. And the two conditions that were emphasized during the show, Autumn, really interesting, was C. diff and what one of the treatments they gave, which I actually wrote about in a nursing magazine uh, several years ago, was about the use of fecal transplants. Wow. Have you learned about fecal transplants yet? No, I don't believe so. Yeah, you will be learning it. But the long and short of it is that if you take fecal matter from a healthy individual and you test that person, you know, for no AIDS and this, that, the other thing, make sure it's clean, there's a protocol, and you give it to a person rectally who has inflammatory bowel disease or C. diff, you can cure between 80 and 90% of those people. That's impressive. Oh, my goodness. Yep. And then you mentioned the critical care unit. In the critical care unit, you should ask some of the docs there, even if PAs uh, or the, the nursing staff, obviously, about it because there used to be, and this may still be true, they have to fill out a drug application in order to do a fecal transplant. And it takes around 30 days, which by then the person might actually be dead. So these are, these are issues. I'm getting off the topic a little bit. <laughs> do you have another question? Um, yes, I do. So I know... Um you describe your working relationship with traditional healthcare providers saying that you will put clients to that. But um, do they ever refer their clients to you? Right. So great question. So the and for those of you who may not have heard that, it was a little muffled. Uh, what is my relationship with other types of traditional health care providers and they do they ever refer clients to me? So if you asked me this question 25 years ago, uh, I would say it was rare that I would get a referral. And I was, you know, 27 years ago, I was fresh out of school. I was hungry for knowledge. I didn't know that we weren't all working together. <laughs> I thought, yeah. I just thought, hey, this is, this, wow, I'm going to work with all kinds of healthcare providers. I didn't know that there was this rift between or bias between or, or whatever you might call it, between the natural healthcare field, which I think is what you're asking me, and, and, yeah. and my field. Um, so what I would do is I would type letters. And in those, those days, I was using a typewriter, okay? And I was typing letters, single space to practitioners about how this nutrition worked and how we're going to work together, how we're going to help the patient. And I would mail that letter and I was sure I was getting a response. I never 
got a response. So after a few years, I realized I'm going to stop con- trying to convert other docs and I'm just going to have to do what I do. Now, flashback, flash forward, that is, to today. Completely different scenario. It, it, you still have those practitioners that are old school and for some reason they actually think that if they did not learn something in medical school, it can't be true. And, and of course that is, um, a form of insanity. Um, not to mention, you know, it's just crazy. So if they didn't learn nutrition in school and they didn't learn that, you know, vitamin C may help kill cancer cells or they didn't learn that magnesium is good for migraines, uh, or whatever it is, if they didn't learn it, it couldn't be true. But most of the practitioners now, at least the ones that I, uh, am in contact with, they, look, here's the truth. They speak to me for a, about two minutes and they realize they need to be uh, professional and they can't simply say what you do doesn't work because I know too much. Or if they say to me, you know, Dr. Wald, uh, can you please forward me evidence of your claim that omega-3 fats in the form of DHA oil helps to improve uh, memory in those with uh, minimal brain dysfunction and dementia? I'll say on the way. So, the people that I work with, the practitioners that I work with now, they know me. Uh, even my website is one of the few websites that if you look under the services section of the different things that I do, there's a scientific reference section where you click on it and those links bring the person to the National Library of Medicine, right to the abstracts, Autumn, that you know that's one of the main search engines for evidence-based uh, proof. Right. So it's all there. It's all there. So I get lots of referrals in all areas these days from many practitioners. And then on occasion, I'll get someone again who's old school, who just won't even think that, that you know, they just can't wrap it around their heads. They're too conditioned for whatever reason to think <laughs> because it is conditioning because it's not, it's not, it's not an intelligence. Yeah. It's not an intelligence question. These are smart people. Right. And you know, Autumn's. I find that some of the tough ones, there was this one practitioner, he came in with his girlfriend and his girlfriend uh, clearly was trying to convince him of natural health. And she had, you know, I, I think, I think that she had vertigo. I don't remember the health problem, but he comes in and I stood up and I shook his hand. And before I sat down, he was he jumped on me. He says, you do this holistic stuff and it doesn't work and this is a waste of money. And I was, I was just astounded. Except what he didn't know, he was a physician. What he didn't know was my whole life, I was training myself for that moment. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was like, one day when I get, can I hold myself up to these smart guys and gals, can I do it? And so he does his thing and I laid into him. And then after about 30 seconds of laying into him, I said, listen, do you want to play this game? I felt like I was in like a, uh, in fourth grade. I would, and I was outside in the playground and he was going to like beat me up. I felt, I felt like I was there and I grew up in Brooklyn. So I, I was ready to go. So, <laughs> so long story short, he, he softened a little. When I pointed out to him how silly he was being. And then a few weeks later, he wanted to become my patient. Wow. So, and, and no, I did not accept him as a patient because, <laughs> but, but here's the reason why minds like that, that have not had enough time to really think about this stuff. They last two visits. These people, I'm not interested in wasting anyone's time. He may have softened up, but he wasn't really open and you need to be open. And the same thing's true in medicine. Medical physicians may not realize this sometimes, but if a person comes to them and they really don't believe in medicine, they're not going to get helped. Sometimes they will, no matter what. But there are other times they're just not going to mentally be open and therefore they're going to either drop out or they're going to start the meds and stop at a day. They're going to imagine problems. Maybe there are problems. So open-mindedness is important and, and real study in something is important. When I started to question many things in natural medicine and, and rather than just accepting that everything natural worked, you know, I was surprised to find out that not everything natural works. So uh, we have time for another question or two. Okay. Um, 
So just to wrap things up, I was hoping you could explain your education and training and then maybe talk a little bit about your philosophy of healthcare. Okay, great. And I want again, Anam, thank you so much for these questions. I have found them interesting, fascinating, and I'm sure that the listeners are going to appreciate these questions. So thank you for that. Thank you for your time. Okay. Now, um, just to remind everyone again, this show will be posted at www.blooddetective.com. For those of you who want to reach me, you can for either an in-person or even a distance consult at 914-552-1442. So to answer your question, um, I uh, originally uh, went to chiropractic college and then I went to um, nutrition school at the University of Bridgeport. I actually attended a physical building. Um, for my master's in nutrition, I went to medical school after that. I, then I got my dietitian's license and then my, um, my New York State, um, sort of certificate as a, a certified nutrition specialist and then sports nutritionist after that. And, you know, so a whole bunch of different things. All of my credentials are listed on my site. And again, the purpose of all that was I just want to be better. I just want to be better all the time. And if there happens to be a certificate or a diploma attached to it, then so be it. And um, my philosophy is a an open philosophy, meaning that I do not want to limit what may be helpful to any of my clients. So if my clients need something that's in traditional medicine, I make it my obligation to teach them about those options. If they say to me, Dr. Wald, thank you, but I do not want to have that procedure, or I do not want to do this medically, I want to try natural health care first, then at least they have made an, an educated choice. And the fact that I do have education in those areas, I can discuss what a colonoscopy is with a patient. I can discuss laboratory work with a patient. I can discuss what's available uh, for you know migraines and medicine. Um, and then I can also say, well, here's what's available in terms of lifestyle and diet and holistic medicine and natural treatments. And then people can make educated choices. So my philosophy is one that needs to honor uh, the the person's uh, needs and their belief systems. And what I find so um, amazing is that particularly the people who listen to a show like this, this is not your average show. You know, if this were on the regular radio, most people, it would just be beyond them. But we're, this is a select audience that has chosen to really um, uh, emphasize in their lives um, natural health, and or a combination. So I find that my philosophy must consist of honoring that level, high level of education. And again, with radio shows, they can be listened to more than once. And then myself and, and other um, radio show hosts on this station have websites where we post tons of content. I do like to emphasize evidence-based though, which you know, Autumn, is a term that refers to the the level of of uh, study and the level of scientific rigor uh, and evidence uh, that different therapies uh, go through, and what people will, will don't realize often is that a lot of what is done in medicine and a lot of what's done in natural medicine does not have a strong evidence base, but it needs to have some some grounding. So. We're uh, pretty much at the end of, of today's show. Uh, I wanted to quickly announce the the next show. But before I do, Autumn, I want to just, uh, again, wish you very well on your a road to nursing. Nursing is a wonderful profession, so dedicated, so intelligent. The level of education required is super rigid at this point. Isn't it that m- at most every state you have to have a master's degree in nursing at this point? Yeah. You're surprised I know this stuff, huh? (laughs) I did my research. So I want, again, I want to thank you so much. And I'll be talking with you soon, Autumn. So you have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you. You're welcome. So everybody, I hope you did enjoy that uh, show. Autumn is a lovely young lady and I wish her well. The next show is all about one of my favorite, favorite topics, all about the thyroid gland. The amount of misinformation I hear on thyroid function out there has got me. I'm just going crazy. I, I don't even know what to say. I go onto some of these sites of these authors that profess to to make these claims about how to deal with hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's and uh, 
and uh, Graves' disease, which is a hyperthyroidism, and there's so much wrong information. So I'm going to cut through all that nonsense. I'm going to give you the most thorough talk about thyroid health that you have ever heard. I'm going to talk about the testing. I'm going to talk about the dietary factors, the exercise factors, the genetics genetic factors, the nutritional supplement factors. I'm going to talk about all the other ways in which the thyroid uh, is deranged in terms of function, its relationship to the adrenals and the pituitary gland and the gut and the nervous system. It goes on and on. So you've been listening to Ask the Blood Detective. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. I practice at Integrated Nutrition of Mount Kisco an hour north of New York City. You can contact me at 914-552-1442 for a distance consult. So to work with me face-to-face and please uh, post your questions on my Facebook page or my blog at www.blooddetective.com or www.integratednutritionny.com. It's been a pleasure. Show me.